This episode's a super throwback. It's not even from my old podcast. It's from an old radio show I used to host in uh, Bushwick, but I thought it was very uh, relevant to the subject matter of this podcast. So I wanted to repost it. It's with my homegirl, Nicole Brenny. Um, back in the day, this is a few years ago, I hosted a podcast called The 60 Minute Orgasm, where we speak about, it was a 60 minute show, that's what I was called that. Uh, we would speak about mindfulness and sexuality. And uh, Nicole actually eventually became a uh, co-host with me. Uh, she uh, prior to that, I uh, had a co-host, uh, Summer Engman, who's another awesome friend of mine. Um, uh, but at this time, uh, Nicole was just a guest to speak about uh, what she calls metabation, uh, which is, and it sounds silly, but it's combining meditation and masturbation in a way that enlivens your spirit. So Nicole's a, a tarot a card reader. She's an astrologer. Uh, so if that kind of language is off-putting for you, you might not super enjoy this, but I think there's a lot of great information. And on the episode, uh, she blasts open uh, my co-host Summer's third eye with a very short meditation. Uh, Summer was talking about it a, a bunch after the episode. is It was pretty cool. Um, so this is episode negative 11, Nicole Brenny, Your Sex on Meditation. You're listening to the Rwando Podcast, Perpetual Orgasm, Infinite Play. Please subscribe on iTunes and enjoy the show. Hello. Hello and welcome to 60 Minute Orgasm. I'm Ruan. Hi, I'm Summer. And we are sex and relationship coaches. We're on here every other week talking about sex, relationships, intimacy, and other fun things as related to orgasm. That's right. Uh, we have a special guest with us tonight. Would you like to introduce her? Yeah. Uh, her name is Nicole Brenny. Uh, she's actually a fellow DJ here at Bel Air, Radio Bel Air. That's where we um, record all these shows under the bridge in Brooklyn. Um, and he's, she's here with us to talk about today's topic, uh, your sex on meditation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for having me, you guys. Thanks for being here. Good to have you. Um, yeah. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. So, like they said, my name is Nicole. I am a DJ here right now. And um, I guess my qualifications for being on this show is just that I've been meditating for probably over 13 years and I've sort of played around with the intersection of meditation, sexuality, and creativity. So I guess we can explore that today. I'm glad you mentioned your qualifications because you need really, really high standards to be on our show. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> Although we've had, no, but we've had some amazing guests on our show. We have. We have. Yeah. All qualified in their own right. And we're we're quite qualified. <laughs> well, We're like the like least it. qualified of, of everyone on our show. Well, all right. So, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. So, um, as uh, mentioned in many other shows, um, if you know who we are, Summer and I uh, were trained at a company called One Taste that teaches about orgasmic meditation. If you want the description, you can look at a previous episode. Um, but basically, as mentioned in the name, orgasmic meditation. Um, meditative states are used in an orgasmic setting. And um, so I was super interested when Nicole uh, was talking to me about her background of uh, having extensive experience, because she is qualified to talk about <laughs> meditation, um, and, and the connection there is to sexuality. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you have any specific questions, I can answer them. But um, I, one of the things is that what I realized is that a sexual state or orgasmic state can be achieved without 
actual physical stimulation. Um, and so I don't know if you want to know a little bit more about that. That sounds guys, pretty interesting. You guys can ask me the questions. <laughs> you should see her facial expression. She's like, I don't know if you want to know more about that. And she looks at us and it's like, uh, yeah, we do. Okay. Um, Say more. Okay. So, yeah, I was uh, meditating for quite some time before I figured this out. But um, I was playing around with out-of-body experiences. Once you can get into a certain state, uh you can sort of, it's almost like you're leaving your body or sort of traveling up into different dimensions. So you are in like, and I don't think this is the correct terminology by any means, but when I saw it sort of visually in my head, it was kind of like the third dimension is this physical world. The fourth dimension is slightly above this world. So like that's where you'd meet spirits or ghosts. Or when I experienced it in my meditations, it was almost like, I would hear voices or feel things that weren't necessarily human. And then the fifth dimension or the state right above that was sort of more ecstatic or um, like it sort of felt like a manifestation or something. It's, it was like a highly energetic sort of state where you don't have a body. And then above that, it just is sort of like um, ecstasy or... I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's sort of when you're meditating for a long time and you reach a state where it's almost like a full body orgasm or it's just that exciting or, you know, blissful, I guess. It's that blissful state that you'd feel. So I was sort of experiencing some of these states while I was meditating and I developed a little bit of mastery over being able to induce these sorts of states within myself by breathing um, I was trying different breathing techniques and then I discovered that in breathing a certain way and visualizing in a certain way, you can sort of like expand the sexual energy that's already present in your body. And yeah, you can make yourself orgasm just from breathing and visualizing and no, st no stimulation at all physical required. So this is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, well, when you were talking, I was thinking, like, I wonder how much of you is conscious during this time, like actually really um, like aware of yourself and how much is just sort of super in flow and like uh, like a lack of self-consciousness. OK, yeah, I think um, the best example I could give and I was just telling these two that I was at a 10 day Vipassana meditation retreat. So I've just spent about 100 hours in the last two weeks meditating and not really doing anything else but meditating. Um, and so just to sort of pinpoint that state, which I was in quite a lot in the last two weeks, is when you're meditating and you're focusing on your breath, there's that focus point, which is your breath. Um, and it's very... And it's very awake and alert. You have to be awake and alert in order to experience the breath in that way. Uh, some meditators would describe it as being almost like silky sort of feeling. It's, it's, it gets so... You can almost visualize it at this point. And once you're in that state, the only way to really keep that state alive is to be completely relaxed. So I think in, re in regards to like how you were describing it, it would be like maintaining immense amount an immense amount of focus 
while also keeping this other part of your brain completely relaxed. And when I was meditating in the last two weeks, I realized that there are some anatomical places that I could feel sort of being triggered in my brain. And I'm not sure if I was just making this up because I was not talking to anyone for 10 <laughs> days and all this. But um, what it felt like was that there was a lot of focus happening in the front part of my head, like the third eye area, uh, sort of like the t and the top of the head and like everything in the front. And then there was immense relaxation happening in the back part of my brain. So it would be interesting for me to, you know, or any of us to like look that up and see if that correlates, but that's how I experienced it. And that's the sort of state I remember being in whenever it was like six or seven years ago when I started to mess around with like building sexual energy and like bringing it to different parts of my body. And okay. I have another question. Sure. This is fascinating <laughs> to me. Okay. So um, you know, we do this practice called orgasmic meditation and like we have all these different like laws of orgasm that we outline. And these are basically things that, um, contribute to, uh, peak experiences in the involuntary and in orgasm. And one of them is, um, longing. Longing is like one of the, the laws of orgasm, meaning that like, you know, if you're stroking, for example, cause we, we stroke clitorises in this practice. So if you're stroking clitoris, and you're, you're, you're stroking, maybe you can feel like people get into this. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a practice that you practice with another person. So it's a, a partnered and you get into this, like this place where you, you can feel what the right resonant stroke is between the two of you at the moment. Mm -hmm. And you can introduce longing into that by like actually stroking just a slightly, like maybe slower, you know, and I'm wondering, yeah. cause you're doing your, your, your focus is on yourself and you're doing this alone and you're not actually physically I'm wondering if there's like if that even comes into play at all if there's like anything about that like longing because how would you that's such an interesting uh, actually I think I might have an answer for you but that's just really interesting to think about and I've experienced that with partners yeah. for sure like that's an obvious component of like building tension within that setting but uh I would say that I think any sort of longing would have to do probably with the breath when I was meditating the last two weeks, I noticed that you, you, in this form of meditation called Vipassana, you're supposed to not control your breath, but just allow it, allow yourself to observe it naturally. But I noticed that my breath would make these certain choices or decisions, or maybe I was simultaneously making them and it would move energy around in a certain way. And I think, and I'm trying to think back to like seven years ago when I was really doing this because I don't really practice that now. Um that I would probably, it would probably be a component in the breath, that your breath would change in order to move the energy in a certain way because the breath really does have so much control when it comes to reaching meditative states. So, and I've noticed that when I'm in high, like very, you know, not high, I don't think that's the best word, but in certain ecstatic meditative states, I'm barely even breathing. So, and then there are moments when I'm meditating where I have to intake quite a bit of breath and then continue again. So I would assume that there's some sort of a rhythmic component happening in my own body that's sort of guiding it that would almost be like a longing, like, okay, I have to breathe now. Or like, wow, you know, yeah. something yeah. like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty novice when it comes to sitting meditation. But my understanding is that um, when you really get into that state, um, your breath is breathing you. That, that's like how it's been explained to me. Like it's, oh, it wow. actually becomes like an involuntary thing. Like you're describing where like you're not consciously breathing, but obviously you're inhaling and exhaling. Uh, in some fashion, it's like it's each like each inhale is its own stroke. Like it'll do what it does. 
Yeah, and that's actually, and when you say that, that's how it's like, it's like the breath is orgasmic. <laughs> so, and honestly, like, I don't want to try to tell people like how to do this at home because I think it's a little bit more complex, but part of the practice would be to imagine certain energetic spots in your body, starting with your sacral chakra, which if you are listening and don't know what that is, it's your sexual chakra. It's the color orange, if you're going to denote a color to it. And um, that's where your sexual energy is supposed to be. Or you could imagine like your lower back where your kundalini is supposed to be stored. And that's a whole different topic. But yeah, you, you can actually, Google them. Yeah. Google these words, <laughs> kundalini, chakra. But uh, you're actually breathing energy into those energetic centers. And um, eventually I developed it beyond that where I was moving that sexual energy to different energetic points in my body, starting with like the different chakras and seeing like how that felt, which was really cool. So and I'm, I think you could do that. Like, I think that's almost like tantric. You could do that. Mm. I haven't studied tantra, but. Yeah. I wonder what's the correlation um, with like other sexual practices. Like if it, if you need intention on the second chakra to do that stuff, because I know when I started like studying orgasm, um, I didn't really know much about chakras and I still don't, but my second chakra area would just like twitch like uncontrollably for like, um, like months. It was like two months. Like I was just like having spasms in my lower belly. And someone later told me like, oh, that's your second chakra. Like, duh. I was like, oh, okay. I've never had, I've never had a chakra experience. I feel like, I feel like a, like, I don't know, like a noob. Not like, a, I was going <laughs> to say that. I was going to say something like, I, I, like, I don't know. I feel like a skeptic or something. It's so weird. Cause I, cause I really, I believe in magic. <laughs> so it's like. Yeah, <laughs> chakras are totally different and some people like i have had spontaneous chakra experiences like falling asleep at night and all of a sudden like as a kid mm -hmm. all of a sudden i feel like a crazy light energy between my eyes and like i can't explain it and i don't know what to do and so i think like either things happen spontaneously or you start doing a spiritual practice mm -hmm. which my, i only ever experienced my other chakras from starting a daily practice of yoga or I mean if you continue your meditation practice that she was talking about before we went on air I think that some of that stuff could just open up but it's definitely like you you start a path of spiritual study and uh -huh. then stuff just starts like coming at coming at you even when you don't want it to yeah my sometimes. parents <laughs> my parents were um are were less now but it's still like whatever my parents are total hippies and I grew up on like a hippie commune where we all um, we all had like a shared garden and like gardened naked and stuff. So um, that's, <laughs> that's amazing in Hawaii. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And we had like a bathtub with like with fire under it. That's how we warmed it. Like anyway. So I, I come from like I definitely don't come from like a cookie cutter like, I, I think that the reason why I haven't explored the whole chakra thing is just as like, a, it, you know, I, I just um, it's a rebellion <laughs> against my roots. And I slowly come closer and closer back to where I, I come from. Why are you laughing at me? No, it's just you're, you're funny. <laughs> That's amazing, because for most people studying anything esoteric or metaphysical is a rebellion against their like religion or something else that like, you know, a familial thing. So that's totally quite the opposite I had yeah. like for most of my life I had like frustration frustrations in my sexual relationships like just because like my sex wasn't sorted out I had all I was like all fucked up around sex and like my mom of all people was like 
oh, darling, you really should look into this. Maybe you should try Tantra or like maybe you should go to like a sex therapist or something. Like, I just really want you to have a happy sexual life. And I was like, mom, I don't want to hear about it. And I kept being like so resistant to taking her um, her advice on that at all. And like, I didn't want to look at it because like I didn't want to deal with it. And like, I didn't want to, I definitely don't want to talk to her about it. And as it turns out, this becomes my life's work. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's like what you resist persists. <laughs> Well, okay. Well, I just became, well, anyway, no. Yeah. I'm actually like that with meditation because uh, my dad is Buddhist and I was raised Buddhist and I actually had to meditate. Oh, I didn't have to meditate, but like it was a big part of my, my growing up. But as soon as I was like old enough to choose, like I just like abandoned all of that stuff. Wow. Bummer. Bummer, yeah. man. I, I was Catholic. I guess like maybe you always stay Catholic or something. But yeah, I remember like going into the woods when I was a kid after church when I was like eight and being like, I don't understand why they keep telling me this stuff that I can't see or like experience. And I like made this made this promise to myself, like from this point forward, I will only believe in what I actually experience physically or see with my own eyes or feel, even if it's like crazy, like a ghost, like if I experience it, it's real. That's my new religion. And like, I just that's like still pretty much how I feel about life. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of my stance with all metaphysical stuff because like, like you said, like we, we could just be nuts. Like if, if you experience something by yourself and you don't talk about it with anyone, you could just be imagining shit, but how do you ever know? You might as well believe it. Yeah. yeah. It's your life, your reality. Let's go to a music break. We're going to play some winter music cause it's, Freaking winter. Yeah. yeah. You can't see us, but we're all wearing our winter all, coats indoors. <laughs> our coats and we're wearing our hats. And yeah. I have two uh, layers of pants on. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we'll do that.
Christmas night across the line The hollow bright Hi, it's Summer again. Hey, Summer. Hey, everyone. Hey. Hey. <laughs> All right, so we, ha- we haven't talked about sex yet. We usually do. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised we made it through the whole first segment not talking about actual sex. We talk about a little orgasm, but... Yeah. Well, meditation by itself is so fascinating. But um, so Nicole mentioned um, about sexual energy. We talked about the chakras a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us about your experience um, with meditation and sex? Sure. So I was sort of talking about like, you know, the intense um, focus that you can develop just by certain breathing techniques and visualizing. And it's not and I was again, I'm just kind of bringing this back into Vipassana because I think a lot of traditional meditation wants you to focus on sort of like what's actually present and not, you know, delve into like moving energy around and all this, but just to like clear your mind. Mm. Uh, and what I was doing was a little bit different, but I was sort of focusing on what was in my body. So, um, for a long time I was combining meditation with masturbation to sort of see how to develop sort of almost like an equanimity towards intensely pleasurable sensations in the body. And it was insane for developing focus and memory. And yeah, it's like, I think my brain power just like went through the roof when I started to practice that. And just, I think also, again, that's sort of tantric though. It's like just feeling something pleasurable, but just not acknowledging it, feeling it, but not reacting to it. And what was the benefits about it exactly? So while I was doing that, I was taking like a lot of language courses and um, this, okay, this is going to sound like an infomercial or fake, but um, I would literally have such a good visual memory that I would look at a list of like, say, Spanish vocabulary words in, in, you know, the Spanish and then the English right next to them and just look at it like twice, like glance at it and then glance at it again and then just take the test and get 100%. So stuff like that. But what I was doing was 
um, experiencing these like feelings and just instead of like reacting to them, um, at first I was trying to use like sort of like visual games in my mind to not react and breathing techniques. So what do you mean by not react? So like when you react by like having an orgasm or even just like allowing your breath to speed up or any kind of thing that you would feel right before you orgasm. So it's like I would really have to have intense control over my breath and an intense, intense focus and concentration. And what I realized was, and actually I think it was almost like that the masturbation led me to meditation, which kind of sounds crazy. But um, what I realized was that, again, those parts of my brain were being triggered. So like the third eye and the whole front part of my brain were being triggered. And the back part of my brain was like really relaxed and... um, I was able to just have intense concentration and focus. That is like, a really good sell. Yeah, for like <laughs> for like an hour or so. It was crazy. I don't know. Just kind of like Adderall. Yeah. I mean, I would just uh I was doing very well in school. Like I graduated like with great grades. I don't know. And I I really wasn't studying that hard. <laughs> I'm like I'm like racking my brain for like a like how do I how would you explain this and like this, what's the science behind it why does it work It just like, sounds yeah. so fake it just sounds like I'm making all this up but <laughs> like I get it say, Well in a way it feels like you expanded your range a little bit in what you could um like hold without reacting but I don't know how like for me it doesn't make any sense how that like translates into having photographic memory that's like incredible I think that makes sense cuz like really? um like your your other senses are so tied to your memories like a, a good song when you're emotional will bring you back to like that make out or that breakup or whatever happened that you were emotional about you know years ago like like your memories are tied into your emotions and it, it sounds like like in meditation you're basically like in a an alpha brain state like a hypnotic state where like you're way more suggestible so you can feel i mean i'm assuming I mean, when I know when I meditate, I could feel a lot more in your my body. I could feel like my pulse and like all these like fine things. So it makes sense that you can, you know, ask, you can like store information better. It's kind of something like something we, we develop in Ohm where um, we share frames at the end of the Ohm to speak a sensation we felt to tie that sensation to our memory so that we can bring back then that sensation next time we own. Well, actually, like the, the reason actually is to, to tie it to our, our language, language center. center. Because then we like have, because the because they, they say that your language, um, uh, what is what is the exact thing that they say? Like your your language, uh, it's easier to remember what you said than what you mm-mm. felt. No, it um, your ex, your ex, well, okay, your ability to express something through language um, basically sets like the bar for how much you can experience it in a lot ah. of ways. Yeah. And so, like, we don't have a language so much for sensation, so that's why we we do frames because your your ability to describe it has you be able to place more attention on it and to um, to experience it more deeply and like more in a more nuanced way. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know if that ties in. That's interesting, though. Yeah. Well, anyway, sense. I bought a one way ticket to Mexico, so I'm trying to crash course uh, myself in Spanish. So I'm definitely going to try this. <laughs> oh yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. I think it, I think it will help. Um, also, it was really really interesting for me to 
do this traditional Vipassana meditation where the whole time you are going through your body and scanning your body for sensations and you're just supposed to show equanimity towards these sensations. So you're not supposed to react to them. So for the first time in my 13 years of really studying meditation, I was like experience all dif- experiencing all different sensations, including like <laughs> intense pain from sitting for like 10 hours mm. in meditation and having to show equanimity towards that. So it was kind of weird to see how like these traditional forms of meditation really do use like what the body's already offering you inside. So anything internal as like a focus point. And what I noticed in the Vipassana was that when I did have sensations that I was trying to not react to, my uh, focus really increased and my control over the breath would become more refined because I would have to really control my breath in order to not allow myself to react to the pain. And then I would also have these really amazing sensations happening and I wasn't allowed to react to those either because of the practice, but also when I reacted to those pleasant sensations, they would often go away. So there's something about non the non-attachment element of that, right? Like, cause that's, is, is that sort of the reason why you practice that way? I think I, I don't know if that would be the correct terminology, but it's, yeah, it's very similar because basically what you're trying to do, that specific practice is trying to get you to not, um, not denote, or associate any sensation with being bad or good so that when you're in your everyday life and somebody says something to you and that whatever they say, so like somebody tells you that they love you and that gives you a pleasurable sensation, you develop a craving for that. You get, you're basically getting free of the, but like attachment to like things being positive or or fear from things being negative. Exactly. And then you free up like a a shit ton of, of attention when you're not, like scheming to get that same thing yeah exactly we're trying to avoid it you like you stated it exactly or like sitting in the past or the present like i wish this would go away like it's going to be great when this pain's away or i want that to or like oh remember when that was so that sensation that i experienced in meditation was so awesome i want to feel that again and then you're just sitting there like thinking about that instead and so yeah you're just Basically, you're basically associating these sensations with nothing so that you can experience things how they are Mm. because they sort of build up in in, like on top of each other to create these intense associations, which is why you're so attached to certain people or places or foods or, you know, traditions. Okay, so now I'm going to segue into sex because this is... Oh, we didn't even talk about sex No, 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 because this is perfect (laughs) because this, like what we're just talking about is, is spot on in terms of like how to approach life and how to approach sex. Yeah. I mean, like one of the main reasons we focus on sex so much is that like sex is an awesome microcosm for life. Like all your issues show up in your sex life. Totally. And um, yeah, I guess what Summer's about to point to. It's like really high stakes for a lot of people. Yeah, because there's a lot of, you know, ego, death, and uh, a ton of sensation in sex, obviously. Yeah. And then the whole idea of not attaching yourself to goals of climax or impressing your partner doing various things well what nicole just said when she just said like oh you know if you're focusing on this like really great sensation that came up in the meditation and like the minute you like start getting attached to it it goes away yeah that's the same in sex yeah it's absolutely the same and i will tell you guys that and this is absolutely true like meditation in that sort of way totally makes you have better sex because you 
Yeah, because you're like so much more chill and you are just experiencing things. It's like the state of mind that is required of you to have great sex. Yeah. I, I like think. that. It's the state of mind that's required of you to have great sex. I'm going to tell that to people. Yeah, it's we should write though. that down. Because people think that like their <laughs> sex Quote, is, <laughs> is fine. They're like, oh, my sex is great. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't. Well, for me, like the practice that I think everybody should do is like, but you don't do orgasmic meditation. How can your sex be as good as you think as it could be when you when you basically grew up in a culture where you have like a major like goal oriented pornographic pornographic like the all like all of the wrong like ways that we touch each other conditioning and all and and like so much pressure um, associated with it and all that stuff. And it's like, you know, the practice really helps to um to remove a lot of that for people and i'm just like what did you say again the right it's the state of mind that's required of you to <laughs> yeah. i think that's what i said totally yeah. like, oh it's, my god it's so absolutely good. true and like the thing is like the funny thing is like if you're with a guy that does watch a lot of porn or is sort of grew up in that like it yeah there you can tell lack of subtlety like they're yeah. not they don't like react to like the i don't know spontaneity of the, the moment yeah but yes. they, they don't also react to like things like the longing for example yeah like, they, they don't, don't react to that don't at react all. to that at all it's so and you're like come on i have all this skill and you're like <laughs> totally it's lost on you and then meditate they, yeah they don't get it they're like <laughs> things should be like crazy and wild and it's like yeah like points but a lot of it is like subtle energetic and like you're just missing out on all this great stuff which is so true I realized in my 100 hours of meditation, which is that like when you're really concentrated, you are so much more awake and enlivened to the subtleties. So if, you know, you and your partner can develop that sort of focus and concentration in a healthy way, which most likely is something that develops during foreplay, then you can really experience, you know, amazing things because there's, you know, there's a rhythmic quality to like foreplay and sex and there is obviously the same thing happening in meditation. Yeah. You know, a switching of your brain waves. Yeah, I want to point as a man who grew up watching porn, um, before <laughs> I, I ever took like a conscious like lens on sexuality, um, I, once I started like becoming conscious of my sex, I realized I would go large periods in sexual intercourse without breathing. and it seems ridiculous now looking back on it but i I think it's a pretty common thing amongst men because you're thinking about the the next thing you're going to do or what you're going to do to her and you can't really breathe at the same time and 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 another another physical manifestation of like thinking too much um which i i wrote about a lot earlier in the year um was that your you actually clench like your your loin areas like a lot of people walk around with clenched your loin well i i, I was going to say butthole but <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people clench their buttholes i wrote i, I wrote this post and i there's made a, a video there's a really good video on this that Ruan made yeah it, it was like i've made a million videos but this one went viral and it's about like anus i'm just talking about anuses for two <laughs> two minutes for some reason that was like everyone's favorite video your inner sphincter my inner sphincter I, i'll i'll post a link to it yeah, or something i got to see this <laughs> Yeah, but basically, I mean, and I was thinking about this when I was walking over here, like the second you get out of the present and start thinking, you you clench something because like it's like your your body's trying to control your mental experience. So you're going to clench a muscle. I clench my butthole. I don't know if that's universal, but (laughs) (laughs) that's been my experience. I, I do some jaw things, I think. I do jaw just, things, yeah. and I do shoulder things. like. Uh, and yeah. I definitely don't breathe when I'm thinking. I was on my way walking over here, and I was stressed out about something, and I noticed like I quit breathing. And so I'm trying to really pay attention to my breath as much as I can, like a monk might. 
just because I'm interested in kind of seeing seeing my own patterns. So yeah, you totally will hold your breath. And I've paid attention to that during sex as well and noticed the exact same yeah. thing. Thank you too much. We'll kill you. It will, honestly. <laughs> Cancer warning. and things like that. Yeah. Stop. Actually, it's, it's a title of my book. I'm writing a book now. It's the title, the working title is The Dangers of Thinking. That's nice. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah I like that. Isn't that a good title? The yeah. Dangers of Thinking. I swear, these days I'm just like, stop thinking. Don't think. Stop it. Me too. Stop. You shouldn't. You shouldn't be thinking. What are you doing? You're yeah. not helping anything. Yeah, Maybe just that's a little that. window into my <laughs> world. <laughs> stop thinking. <laughs> Don't figure it out. It's it's like sugar. Like it's so hard not to think. You know? Like like I was walking over here. And I was like, oh, I should like meditate while I walk. Um, but it's so hard to not like. I was already like imagining what I was gonna say to both of you guys. Like it's yeah. so hard to not do that. It is so hard. And I was actually questioning, you know, is it important for our brains to pre-plan things like that? Like if you, yeah, if you're about to meet a friend at a coffee shop and you haven't seen her in a long time, like, and you're on your way over there you'll be, and you'll be in your head asking yourself, what am I going to say? Like, what should I ask her about? Is that really necessary? Like, do we just not trust ourselves enough to like come up with something in the moment or no, improvise? We, it's so we, strange. We think we're God. We think we can actually see, like know what's going to happen ahead of time enough that we would be able to plan anything out. But the truth is like, we don't know what the circumstances are going to be like when we show up there. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, we don't know what she's going to say. Like we can have all these ideas. And then the, the truth is like most of the time we don't actually say the thing because it's not in context, the right context anymore. It's just this weird obsessive little thing. Like we yeah. think that we have, um, some benefit to like planning it out but then we just like stop the natural flow and think of all the time that we waste that's what I realized when I was in silence for 10 days was wow I wasted so much of my life thinking like reminiscing about the past replaying stories in my head and then wasting my time thinking about how I'm going going to react to certain people and it never happens and then I'm like I could have done so much with that precious time you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like planning what I'm going to say, what you guys are going to say to me or what I'm going to say to you, like <laughs> how unnecessary in some ways. Yeah. You didn't even know what questions we we're going to ask you. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just making stuff up because I'm crazy. Yeah. When, when I was a kid, I was really, really shy and I would go like the entire day without speaking. And then as soon as I would get into bed at night, I'd have like eight hours of conversations. <laughs> and I was looking back, I was wondering if I wasted all my talk in my head. So I had nothing to say the next day. That was what I would think about. Dude, I, I would, I have like a similar experience where I would just think of all the things that I should have said. Yeah. So I would just say them to myself like later. Yeah. It's, and then there's no reason of talking weird. because you already said it. Well, no. the other, whatever. Let's take a music break. <laughs> yeah, but when we come back from the music break, um, Nicole is going to blast open Summer's Third Eye. Did well, I say that right? Yeah. Well, it's gonna be something like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you guys. Blast, blast it. She's gonna shoot her in the head. No, she's gonna do, she's gonna do like a cool nah. exercise for third eye opening, which may or may not open my third eye. Yeah, we're gonna try it live. Yeah, I do have also some questions about the ego, but we'll squeeze that in. We'll squeeze that in. There's plenty of time. Cool. All right, let's go. Ciao. I I prefer your love. To Jesus, I 
sick at the sight of them Tired of walking the sidewalk in spite of them As my headache moves from east to west Mother, won't you open your arms and Forgive me of all these bad thoughts I blinded to the faces in the But all the good in me is because of you is flying. It's I'm crazy. nervous about my third eye. Okay, well, it's really simple. So, this is something that I've I've actually I have had some meditation students before um or just try to help out my friends to meditate and this is the first thing that I normally teach them if they understand even just a little bit about meditation or spirituality. Um it's a simple breathing technique that will make you at least aware of your third eye area and for a lot of people after they do it for a while, they'll start to experience like a tingling or a buzzing in the third eye area. And this is great for your concentration and it brings you in touch with your breath. And it's sort of what I've described it as it's, is it's sort of like the key to unlocking the rest of, you know, the meditative practices. And interestingly, it is sort of close to um, 
the breathing exercises in Vipassana, but not really. You're just sort of focusing on your breath. So um, people who are listening, can they just follow along with what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. So let's just let's just try it. Um, so first, what you want to do is, you know, get into a relaxed seated or you can be seated or you can be laying down. I actually normally do this laying down because I like I just feel most comfortable that way. So find your comfortable position. And what I want you to do is just breathe in and out of your nose um, and just normally, but if you're a little bit stressed out, you kind of want to, you know, slow down your breath to help calm you down. So just breathe and you might be having a lot of thoughts right now. The best thing that you can do is to just think about your breath. So just see it going in and out. And one of the, um, images that I use is to imagine it being a white thread. And so when that that thread goes in through your nostrils and it goes out the back of your head and it's really long though so it never actually leaves your head it's just sort of oscillating back and forth so when your breath goes out it's just moving forward and when it goes in it's moving backwards from your nostrils through your nostrils through the back of your head so just imagine it sort of moving back and forth and the reason why um I like to use that imagery if you do need visualization is that it sort of it sort of creates a circular breathing and it can really bring your breath into sort of that silky very silky state that if you once you reach that state you'll know what I'm talking about it's undeniably soft and silky malleable almost um so you're going to do that for a while since this is the radio I think we might speed things up a little bit so just keep imagining your breath you know moving back and forth and now go to the area between your eyes so between your eyebrows the typical third eye area if you need to sort of see a better visualization you can look up the third eye chakra online and imagine now that same piece of thread moving through the third eye through the back of the skull just oscillating back and forth just as it was through your nose and breathe in and out through the third eye. So you, you're not even feeling the breath through your nose anymore. You're feeling it right through the third eye area. And I just want you to do that, um, for a couple more minutes and with any thoughts that arise. And if you are a novice meditator, this is definitely most likely going to be occurring for you. Even if you've been meditating for 13 years, you will probably be experiencing this as well. You're going to see them come up and the best thing that you can do is just when you notice that you're thinking about the past or the future, bring your thoughts right back to the breath. And in this case, since we're visualizing the third eye area, bring it right back to the third eye and the white thread that's oscillating back and forth, just very slowly oscillating back and forth, never ever leaving the skull. And you might think about something else again. And when you notice it, just bring it right back. And this is a practice, so it's no big deal if you do notice any thoughts arise. As you keep progressing over time, you will be able to move from those thoughts back to what you're practicing, which is the breath, faster and faster, and your concentration will increase. So at this point... Um, or maybe if you do this for a little bit longer, I normally used to meditate 
anywhere between 20 and 60 minutes a day. You'll start to feel that buzzing and you can expand that and move it around your head. Um, you can focus on different areas of the body and see what sensations arise, or you can just continue breathing in and out to just focus your mind and clear it and prepare you for the day. Or if you do this at night, it's a really, really great way to sort of clear all of the energy that you've accrued throughout the day and prepare you for a really relaxing sleep. So that is the meditation. Do you, how do you feel? Did you become more aware of your third eye? I became very aware of the area in my body of the third eye. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I will say, for those of you who can't see at home, uh, Summer's eyes are pretty glazed over. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't matter. That's not my third eye. Those are my eye eyes. I know, but so, something happened. Some but I felt, yeah. Well, some people don't necessarily feel tingling. They'll feel coolness. When I first mm -hmm. had a third eye experience, I felt really just cold there, mm -hmm. really cold. And I was, my whole entire face was really warm besides that one spot so well i have like a little bit of it feels almost like a headache there okay that's that's actually really interesting i've been noticing in my own meditations right before i reach a moment of like sort of you know that heightened sensation that uh -huh. sort of pleasant sensation i'll start feeling something really tense first and that's where the equanimity really comes into play yeah. where you're just allowing it to happen and observing it and that's another thing that i didn't mention during that technique was it really is about observation so that whole time when you were breathing in and out really just observing and not expecting something to happen or wanting something to happen is pretty much the key to that intense concentration right. so hopefully people that just tuned in can like go back and listen to what we were talking about equanimity and focus and try it again and see, you know, I did, you kept saying things like, Oh, is anybody, if you have thoughts and I was actually very like, I, this little thread, like all my attention was on it. It was perfect. Pretty, it was pretty cool. Was yeah. Like, oh, that's great. Um, I thought of a couple things here and there, but it was, it was, it was pretty good. Thank you for that. Yeah. Sometimes I, I feel like visualization really helps especially when you're first getting started with meditation. Totally. I've never had like that. Like there's a couple, uh, there's another one I do that is sort of uses some imagery that that's helpful. But like a lot of times I just sit, like I don't really like have any meditation technique and oh, there's a lot more thoughts generally, but that was yeah. like, the visualization is very helpful. Yeah. It's sort of like a crutch in some ways, but, um, I don't know. It's I like think training it's, wheels. Yeah, it's training. I think it's training wheels. I don't see why it's bad. I think if you're getting the results that you want at the end of the day, it's fine. But I do think that it is a great goal to eventually to just sit with what's there. You mm -hmm. know, eventually to just be able to do that is probably going to give you more like long term, deeper results as far as like your everyday life. Yeah. But acute results will come from, you know, at least being able to focus your concentration that much and not think about life. Absolutely. Cool. Oh, Ruan, you wanted to talk about the ego. I <laughs> did. I, I had another oh, I had a time. series of questions. I don't know if we have time. No, we, we, let, yeah, we do. We have a, I mean, five minutes or so. So. Okay. Well, I'll introduce the topic. I feel like I have a lot of follow-up questions, so maybe we'll have to have Nicole on in the future again or something. But totally. Okay. So, so I have a friend who um, did Vipassana for three years. Like, he got out of the military, and then he was like, confused about life, so he did, he did Vipassana every day for three years. And he told me he got to a point towards the end where he could feel like his ego was completely gone. 
like we talk about it kind of like we talk about the ego metaphorically a lot in every spiritual realm but like his ego is gone like he had like total non-attachment to like material things and then he realized like oh shit as long as i'm alive i don't want to like be completely non-attached like i kind yeah. of like the, the third dimension and like having a body and having cares in the world so he stopped and he left and then he went to do other things um what are your thoughts on that uh, I like this question, and I actually read some articles about people who felt exactly the same as your friend. Maybe your friend wrote those articles, one of them. Uh, but um, I thought about that, too. But I will say that as far as what I experienced with my own ego in 10 Days of Silence, like I really like letting go of some of my attachments. I think that's really, really healthy. I don't know if you get into an advanced stage. And I questioned that a lot. Like, what's the end goal of this? Like, I'm going to be a monk without sexual relationships, without, you know, having a family that I'm not attached to. Like, that's really scary to me. But, um, and I did kind of come up for, with a metaphor for it, sort of, in my own brain. And that is that, um, I think the difference is like this. If you have an ego in your living life, it's like having like a regular orgasm. <laughs> okay. This is it's just like a show. It's like having like a regular orgasm or something with <laughs> some guy or maybe even a guy that you're in love with. Um, when you are meditating all the time and that's a, that's a physical experience that you experience, right? When you're meditating all the time, you reach like blissful, crazy, orgasmic like states that are just like profound, right? And that's, that is a physical state that you feel as well. And it's also blissful, just like an orgasm is blissful, but like it's even more so. And I think that when you do reach an advanced state, that all of life almost becomes, there aren't any attachments or cravings, but almost like all of life becomes more profound. You know what I mean? So maybe mm. your friend wasn't really, maybe his ego really didn't dissolve. Maybe it's, that was my first thought. His ego, was you know, listening. there's one sort of scary thing about Vipassana and that is, you know, there's the craving and the aversion and you're trying to get rid of those, but you actually, the key here, and maybe this is something your friend is missing is that you actually have to experience those sensations in order to show equanimity towards those sensations. So, mm. Yep. Maybe your friend's not allowing himself to feel love or to feel hatred because you're always going to feel those feelings if you're alive and you're allowing yourself to. So to remain closed off is not enlightenment, but to be equanimous and, uh, I don't know, love and alive completely, that's open completely is being alive, you know? I was going to say, I love that. And I was going to, because I was thinking the same thing. I was like, well, the true test is like, can you have those things and have a practice of non-attachment with with them yes and i think otherwise that, that makes you strong <laughs> your non-attachment like the fact that you can decide not to have anything that's like one that's like one level of non-attachment but like having them and then being um okay with losing them you know like yeah. that's that's the true practice that's like saintly you know that's like just being a saint or something and that's why those people are so inspiring and so great mm-hmm and also, I think if somebody's ego completely dissolved, that they wouldn't talk about it. But that's just like sort of the. You know. We're just bashing your friend. Oh my God. I'm so uh, sorry. He's a really nice guy. I bet he's. Amazing. I bet he's amazing. Yeah, I bet he's he just amazing. he just missed this one major thing. Well, I'll let him know. But there's just weird, like there's weird, just sort of guideposts and rules in meditation, and those are like some of them. But I'm not saying I prescribed them. Obviously, I'm using 
I just studied visual or Vipassana and I'm using visualization here today, like in a meditation. So I'm not like a pure, I'm not a purist by any means, but those are just some observations that maybe those are some questions to ask him, you know? Cool. Well, I get it. We're getting, we're getting to the end of our time. Um, Nicole, if people are interested in reaching out to you or anything, is there any way they can get a hold of you for meditation or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. I would say follow me on Twitter. That would be the best way. It's Nicole underscore Alicia underscore like Alicia Silverstone. Uh-huh. Um, Cause I don't really have like one website right now, but I post all, any articles that I write about spirituality and health there. And I will be hopefully teaching classes and creating a website soon. That is in the works. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. We'll link her social media yeah. along with this recording. Oh, good. Yeah, we'll do that. I'm summeringman.com. S-U-M-M-E-R-E-N-G-M-A-N.com. <laughs> <laughs> what? You know, it's hard. It's a hard name. Yeah, well, I'm at meepagala.com. M-E-E-P-A-G-A-L-A.com. So mine's a little tougher. Oh, yeah. But if you're listening to this, you probably found our names on the internet already. So yeah, we trust that you can you're, find you're us. probably our friends. Yeah. <laughs> but in case you're, you're a friend who's been shared, who's been shared this. That is where you find us in case you find anything. You want to know anything more? You want to get a hold of us? That's totally cool. Um, so join us again in a, a week and another two weeks. We do this every other Monday and we'll leave you with a song. Have a wonderful two weeks. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to be a part of the virtual audience for future episodes, make sure to follow me at crowdcast.io slash Rwando. See you next time.